Hello, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to the Left of Greg podcast. I am Brian Marin, the host and creator of the show. As always, I will be joined by human behavior expert, Mr. Greg Williams, who the show is affectionately named after. Here on the Left of Greg show, our goal is to increase your advanced critical thinking ability through a better understanding of what we call human behavior, pattern recognition, and analysis. If you'd like to find out more about what that is, you can check out our website at arcadiacognorati.com or by following us on Facebook at HBPRA. Please help support the show by checking out our Patreon site where for just a few dollars you can have access to all kinds of episode extras, videos, and short tutorials that are updated weekly. Just click the link in the episode details that says support the show and we'll take you directly to that site. If you have any questions or would like us to cover a specific topic, please reach out to us at leftofgreg at gmail.com. Today's episode is the second installment in our series on fear, where Greg and I discuss the illogical behavior we have observed due to the coronavirus outbreak. Today we are joined by Dr. Regan Anderson, who is a former Navy surgeon that supported the Marine Corps' 1st Reconnaissance Battalion during the height of the counterinsurgency fighting in Iraq. Dr. Anderson brings a wealth of knowledge and experience and gives his expert opinion on a number of issues including fear, lack of control, being stuck at home, and even universal health care. You're going to want to stick around all the way to the end of the episode because the stories get more powerful as the conversation evolves. Thanks again for tuning in, and we hope you have enough toilet paper. All right, Dr. Anderson, Regan, thank you so much for uh, for coming on and joining us today. Uh, it's a pleasure having you. I think it's an important time to have a, a medical professional on the left of Greg's show, and so it's not just coming from the human behavior perspective of, me, of, of Greg and myself. So uh, first off, uh, thanks for coming on. And uh, you go ahead and kind of jump in and give us a little bit about medical background and then, then kind of about the, the coronavirus and, and what we need to fear a little bit, uh, I guess. But, uh, you know, just for those of you just tuning into this episode, we, this will be kind of like the second episode in, a, in, in the piece on fear. So you can always go back and listen to the other one. But we always figure I like uh, the overarching theme I, I tell everyone is, is you know, don't uh, uh, don't listen to the influencers. Listen to the experts. So we always try to go out and find an expert, maybe, or someone who can can relate to it. So why don't you go ahead and uh, kind of introduce yourself a, a little bit? Tell us a little bit about yourself, and then uh, go into uh, our, our 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 quarantine situation that we're all sitting in right now. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on. It's a, it's a privilege and an honor. So I'm a, a doctor. I'm a osteopathic physician. I'm a board certified dermatologist now and a Mohs surgeon. So a Mohs surgeon, we cut out big cancers off of people's faces and then do facial reconstructive surgery so that people don't see uh, a huge gnarly scar. So that's what I do now. I used to be in the United States Navy and as the first reconnaissance battalion surgeon, and I did two tours in Iraq with with those gentlemen. A very interesting experience, uh, lots of life lessons learned with that. And I think, uh, Brian, you and I share a common background with recon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we discussed that. I was over in uh, third recon bat for a while, but when the same times you were in, uh, in Fallujah, I was, uh, just West of you over there in Ramadi. So not far from you at all. So I, I know what you went through and what you did. So, and which I, I thank you for, sir. Yeah. So. Likewise. Thank you for yours. I, I also have a master of public health and a, a master of theology as well. Um, and so when I was in the military, I obviously did vastly different things that I'm doing now, but the perspective of a physician and the parasitology and all of the different types of medicine I did in the military, I think is very relevant to the coronavirus. The coronavirus is a virus, obviously, um, of kind of the corona family, which describes how it looks under a microscope. 
And we've had other coronaviruses in the past, like SARS and MERS. And this coronavirus is a new type uh, that causes, or can cause, I should say, uh, really bad respiratory complications. So your lungs just don't work and you're on ventilators. Now, just like everything else, there's a, a whole range of what's going to happen if you get this infection based off of your genetics and based off of your individual health. So just like I don't want the flu, I, I, I want no part of the flu. I also want no part of the coronavirus. I think the coronavirus at the end of the day is going to be slightly more deadly than the flu is. But I think that for the vast majority of people who are healthy, that the coronavirus is going to be very similar to what they've experienced with the flu. And those who are not healthy uh, with other diseases, uh, they're going to suffer much worse than they would from the flu. So to put it in perspective, right now as we're recording this on March 26th, there have been uh, a little over 22,000 deaths in America from the flu this year. And there have not been, you know, there haven't even been a thousand deaths from the coronavirus right now in America. And so I'm not saying that we should minimize the importance of the coronavirus. We need to respect it, just like we need to respect the flu. But, and I think those deaths from coronavirus will increase, hopefully not as much as Italy has faced, but I think they will increase. But what people need to do is they need to be smart. They need to practice social distancing. And, you know, you see these things of spring breakers out there partying and doing all this stuff, thinking that they're immune. Well, they're not immune. Yes, they have less of a chance of winding up in the ICU or dying than an 80-year-old, but they're, they're still, we still have reports of this age group um, suffering from this. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, so that, that's, uh, um, I, I think, a great uh, kind of, hey, here's a lowdown and dirty of why it, why it is or, or why it's important, what it really is, what it'll kind of do to us and who's going to be affected by it. So I just want to hit real quick before you went any further um, is that so, you know, in terms of how dangerous it is, you're, you know, we kind of do these comparisons to the flu, which is, you know, good and bad, meaning good in the, I understand the flu. I've had a flu before. Uh, I understand the numbers behind how many people get the flu and how many people die, but the way it's different is, and I think this kind of gets into what everyone's scared about or what seems to be all the hype about is, is how it, this is now a lot easier to transmit than the flu though, correct? Or, or does it? It is. It's actually a lot more contagious. And, um, but with that, uh, Again, the, the vast majority of people who get this are going to have flu-like symptoms. Some people have just barely any symptoms, and some people have flu-like symptoms, and some people wind up in the hospital on an ICU and potentially die. The interesting thing about fear, Brian, is that we like to take nuggets of truth, and we like to extrapolate those nuggets of truth into things that feed our emotional homes, where we live normally. And we like to use these little nuggets of truth to justify what our core is. So in other words, people are going to listen to this and they're going to be appropriately concerned for their health. But will it make them stop smoking? Hmm. Will it make them do things that they know that they can do to increase their chances of not having a bad case of the coronavirus if they get it? Or are they just going to fear monger? You know, I was at Costco a couple of weeks ago and I looked behind me and the lady had a bunch of toilet paper and a bunch of alcohol and a bag of Doritos. <laughs> I mean, seriously, I, we know that if you smoke and you get the coronavirus, you have a much higher risk of dying from it. 
In fact, in Wuhan, and the numbers are gonna be very fluid for the next year or two until we have actual ones, but it looks like you have an eight to 10% chance of dying if you smoke. Now in Wuhan, where this all started, we think, it's uh, most of the elderly population smokes. So you've got elderly right. and smokers, and now you've got eight to 10% death rate. How many smokers are listening to this and are worried and have stocked up on toilet paper, but are not willing to put down the cigarette? We know that obesity leads to cardiovascular disease, heart disease, all that stuff, high blood yep. pressure. And we know that death rates from that go way up. Well, how many people listening to this are going to say, wow, I've always needed to lose 20 pounds. I'm going to use this time so that I don't have to be unnecessarily fearful and I can do something about it. And I'm going to lose 10 pounds over the next two weeks by eating well and, and exercising. How, how many people are going to do that? Or are people going to just sit there and say, oh, I can't do anything about it. Get me the Cheetos. Get me the processed foods. We know from our grandparents, right? Fruits and veggies. That's what you're supposed to eat. They did a study last year. It was brilliant. They did a study that if you consume four or more ultra processed foods a day, that's your cereals, that's your sports drinks, that's your soda pops, that's your crackers, all of those. If you consume four or more a day, you have an increased risk of dying from all causes of 62%. 62%. And if you look at the standard American diet, what we consume all day long, from hot dogs to whatever, frozen pizzas, is ultra processed. For every one serving more of ultra processed, now we're up to five, your chance, it goes up 18% of dying from all causes. So we've got the obese smoker who's consuming nothing but ultra processed foods like the Doritos and all that other stuff, listening to this podcast. You and I, Brian, we have a common common background of facing fear in the eye and what can we do to mitigate it and move forward. Right. Right. And Greg, you as well with your background. So we understand that you have to know the enemy and you have to know what they're capable of. And then you have to know yourself well enough to fight that. Or you can just go back to your emotional home and say, I've always been fearful. I've always been paranoid. I've always been whatever. And the nugget of truth in the coronavirus that it is dangerous and it is but that won't spur people to actually do anything to mitigate that risk. Right. Yeah. Right. That's, that's a, that's a great kind of uh, way of framing it and looking at it. Right. And cause you know, I look at it too, kind of similar uh, in, in a number of aspects, you know, everything from performance, you know, people are now going, Hey, what, what do I do? You know, I'm, I'm, even just like workout apps and social groups I'm in where people are like, Hey, we can't go to the gym. What's going on. And then you, you guys get upset. These are, we have all these goals that they want to do and they've been working really hard in gym uh, going for it. Now it's like, Hey, I, that's all going to be crushed. I'm going to lose all this. And it's, well, well, what can we do now? Focus on something else that you don't typically do and get really good at that and, and go back. But th- there's a number of things I kind of want to un- unpack in there. And uh, one of it, you know, when you, when you talk about uh, a fear and, and nuggets of truth, I, I mean, obviously that's, that's a, a, you know, that's a lot of the issues that we see. And, and, you know, you say, Hey, I go back to my emotional home. And, and that's kind of what we brought up when we first started discussing this is that, you know, Greg even said, well, think about it. It's toilet paper. Why would someone stock up on toilet paper? Are you suddenly going to be using the bathroom a lot more? Well, actually, if you're staying home from work, maybe, maybe, you know, 
a, a little bit, but I, I don't know what would, what would this come from? And Greg brought up a great point. He said, well, think about it. You know, when you're literally, when you're going to the bathroom, you're in a comfortable place. Um, that's in your home. Some people take their time. They sit on the toilet, read a book, look at their phone. Um, if that gets taken away from you all of a sudden, that's a, it's a very personal thing, right? You feel very comfortable because you're very vulnerable in that spot. So, so why wouldn't you then go, well, Hey, I can make sure I can still do that because I take comfort in that. And that's, that's just kind of, kind of one example of, of how this, uh, how this works when, when people overreact to this fear. Cause my, one of my points was, you know, I bet this year in 2020, um, you know, you, how many people are going to die of the coronavirus? Well, we're not sure yet. We're definitely not. We're, we're still that that number's still going up. Uh, don't know what that's going to be at the end of the year, but but I, I bet more people will die of heart disease or suicide uh, this year than than from the coronavirus. So it's we've got this weird way of 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 looking at different threats to us and our existence and our life, and it's hard if we can't see it and understand it to really do anything about that. And I think that's where a lot of the fear comes with this virus, especially that it's easily transmitted. Uh, there's a lot of information out there that sounds really scary and I can't see it. I can't, you know, touch it. I don't, I don't, you know, I, I can at least see myself getting fatter in the mirror and go, I have to do something about this. But, but when you, when you can't see it, I mean, how, how does that play into to kind of what you've seen in the overreaction? Well, absolutely. It's, it's the boogeyman phenomenon. Yeah. You know, our imaginations are often worse than reality in almost every aspect of life. I mean, there's a few and, you know, you and Greg and I have experienced some of those few where uh, your imagination can't be worse than reality. That's but, true. Yeah. but uh, you know, for most things it is. And so it is the perfect storm of a nugget of truth. And then you exploit that to live where you want to live. So 9-11 is a great example. You know, horrible day horrible day. Uh, but how we responded to 9-11 tells everything. So let me, I'll tell you a quick story. I was in medical school and I was finishing out my last year of medical school and I was interviewing for the first year out of medical school called internship. And so I was in Seattle, 9-11 happened and a uh, horrific day. I called my detailer, the, the person who's responsible for saying, you know, where I go. And he didn't really have a big role in medical school or in training afterwards. It mostly comes after that. But I called him and I said, look, you can take me out of medical school. You can do absolutely anything you want with me, whatever my country needs, you tell me and I will be there. And he called me back later that day. And he said, Reagan, out of the hundreds of people in the scholarship for the military medicine, you were the only one who called out of hundreds who left a message of whatever my country needs. Everybody else called with, you will not pull me out of school. Um, I don't care what happens. I don't care. And so he called me up and said, thank you for that. So I was concerned, but who I am as a person is I try to help. I try to be part of positive change. So I was fearful. I was with my godson at the time, and I could see this little kid, six years old, just crying while the Twin Towers were falling. It was a crazy time. But my emotional home was I'm here to help. Other people's emotional homes on that day were either fear-based or paranoia-based or anger. Wherever you go in a time of quote-unquote crisis, wherever you want to go naturally, that is who you are, or better way of saying it, what you've become accustomed to. And you will find any and every excuse in any and every situation in life to go there. 
You could be having the best day possible, but if your emotional home is anger, you're going to be angry. You're going to find something to be mad about. If your emotional home is joy, then you're going to find something to be joyful about 9-11, that you're near your family, that they're safe, that you live in America. So these times right now, yeah, it's nuggets of truth, Brian, but the nuggets of truth, we will make our reality. What you focus on grows. Now in Iraq, right, we, we had some realities of things being shot at us and thrown at us and lobbed at us and whatever at us. And I, those type of situations, I think, are a little bit different. But I think they're still instructive as to where we live. Did that answer your yeah, question? Yeah, no, it, it did. And, and you, you brought in the, the deploying in Iraq and seeing, you know, on being on the battlefield and especially in your position where, you know, you're just you're there to treat guys and to medically treat people who have been out on the battlefield. And I almost think those jobs, you know, sometimes are worse in terms of what they do to you mentally and some of the things you have to go through. Because I always say like, yeah, I've, man, I've, I've watched several of my friends, I've watched several Marines die. You know, I've had been in horrible, horrific situations, but I was out there with a gun taking it to the enemy. So in a way, you know, I, I didn't just have to deal with that. Right. I, I actually could go out there and, and be like, well, I'm going to go get some, I'm going to, you know what I mean? Like I, I, I'm, I'm in the fight. So it's a, it's a different perspective and you keep using this term emotional home, which I'm probably going to just steal from you and start using. So I, I will, I always credit people when I, when I steal well, their work. By I the stole way. it from really Tony cool. Robbins. Oh, okay, so I, okay. I stole it from Tony. So I don't know where he well, stole it from. Well, yeah. and, and, and that's great. And yeah, exactly. And he stole it from someone else and that person stole it from someone else. And it's been around for, for 3000 years, probably the Greeks were probably teaching it back in the day, but, but, uh, but that it's a, that's a great point for, for coping mechanisms and understanding how to, how to deal with, with this uncertainty, right? So we were actually out not, not long ago uh, in, in Virginia teaching a course on our human behavior courses that we teach. And um, so, but it was now all of a sudden, the, it was, things were increasing in chaos. People were going, well, I don't know, are we going to lock down? Like, so it was that whole, are they going to shut down air travel? All of a sudden we have to keep this social distance. It's kind of when it just started. So but, you know, Greg and I, same thing, be, being that he was law enforcement for a long time, military as well, deployed with the military. Even after that, same with me, it was just, we're just like, okay, well, we'll just keep going and then we'll see what happens. You know, I can, I have a, got a, our car rental was from national. So I'm going to assume that meant it's, na it's national. And <laughs> well, if I water to water, actually yeah. <laughs> take that and we'll drive. And we had one guy there who was flew in from St. Louis. So like, we'll drop him off in St. Louis. We'll continue to Colorado for Greg. And then I'll finish the trip in in San Diego and I'll, I'll torch the car and report it stolen. And you know, we'll all be good. Like it was immediate, just like, okay, we have several backup plans. Like what, what do we need to do? Like, but, but a lot of it, and it, when you get to these situations where now uh, it's, this isn't like the wars that we've been fighting for the last 20 years when it's only a small percentage of the population that are carrying that load. Um, this is everyone now. Now it's uh, everyone's involved, meaning every citizen in the U.S. and of the world now has to do their part. And I think a lot of people aren't really used to that. So that, that kind of, that kind of, plays into it that now on a national scale and you know it's funny that i even have like you see people posting on social media stuff like hey you know your grandparents were asked to go fight a war you're asked to stay home you know i think you can handle this but part of me is like 
hey man, uh, not just your grandparents. Uh, that's like your older brothers and sisters and parents and uh, your family. Like there, there's like there's a current generation and there's war still being fought. Like hey, we we have the ability and and to go back to what you your response on on nine eleven is no difference to this. It's like well, what can I do to help? You know, what, what can I do to get either get involved or help the situation? And if you're telling me help the situation is literally stay at home, well, that sounds, that sounds pretty easy. Normally people are telling me to get up out of the house. You're telling me to, to stay home. But, but that goes into your life experience and the type of person you are. Like you're a person of service, same thing. I, when, when 9-11 happened, I was actually, a, I was in college. I was a freshman in college. And the first one, my, my old man finally got a hold of me, said, hey, hang on, don't, go enlist yet, please. I want you to try and finish school. I didn't listen to him. Uh, but, but no, it was the same thing. Cause he, they knew right away. It was like, all right, well I'm going to get in on this fight. And so to me, this COVID-19 coronavirus situation is no different. I don't, I don't know, Greg, what are you, what are yeah, you, first, first each too, which it, I think is great. It, it, doc, first of all, thanks. Uh, I would ask all our, uh, listeners and readers and viewers, uh, uh, do me a favor. You want to read more about Jason Bourne, uh, uh, look up Reagan B. Anderson yeah. and spend a day just bouncing around inside of his head. Uh, we're honored to have you here. You've done such a tremendous amount of stuff. And Brian, I want to go back to a comment that both you and the doc were bat batting back and forth. And, and let's, let's discuss the, the, the toilet paper. Uh, uh, we need control. Okay. Our lives need control and anything chaos out of order, anything that tends to make us feel as though we're out of that control means that we're going to viciously fight to grab that control back, okay? Because that's the way we are. That's the way primitive nature is. That's the way our, our brains are set up and our electrochemical neurotransmitters, you know, foment this uh, into a fear of the unknown, what's going to happen next. So sometimes predictive analysis can get goofy and that's what we have to address here too. And this is one of the, the benchmarks of fear. And I'll give you an example of that. One, I can control buying toilet paper. I can control that. And, and if you say I can only have two, I'll take two of those, but I'm going to get some water too. And then I can put them somewhere in my house where I can see them. I can pick them up out of my truck and carry them up the stairs and put them in my pantry. That to me mimics the same, uh, you know, transmitters that, that control does because I can't control the virus, which I can't see. And because it's alive, I can't kill it. So what I'm going to do though, is I'm going to go out and I'm going to buy a gun uh, to prepare for looting. What happens is that we create this reality that doesn't exist. And I'll give you an example in Colorado. So, so uh, you know, come out to Colorado before Rogue Manor West and the, and the ranch, uh, Charlie and I still had to do law enforcement gigs to pay the light bill. And one of the things that we saw every year in the winter was people coming from the East Coast and West Coast to Colorado and dying engaging in risky behavior. One, selfie from the rock face. Uh, two, petting the mountain lion. You know, th these are all uh, uh, dead right there, you know, uh, situations. And the one that, that made me wonder was they'd get a rental sled and on the perndle just below it, there's a, a button for two wheel drive, four wheel drive. Mm -hmm. Most people have no idea. They assume that all wheel drive is the same. And so they overdrive the shit out of the rental sled and then now they can't stop and they pile in and then there's death on the highway and we would show up and we would be going, this is horrible and separating the bodies out. And it was always the same thing. You get increased confidence when you're driving a vehicle and specifically when it's a rental sled, I won't even go there. And each time that you pass a car in the snow and the ice, you get more bold. 
And you go, hey, look what I just learned. I'm really good at this. And so the speed increases a little bit. And guess what? You didn't die. And so now you're engaging. You remember the uh, Marine motorcyclist? You both know this from the Marines and the Navy. You had a kid that would buy a motorcycle after his last combat experience and go out there. And man, he's just pushing the limit. And he's tacking that out all the time. Why? Because we have to feel some element of fear to be in control of something in our life. That's why people cut. It's the, I, I, I know I'm bouncing around, but it's the same basic behavior. I do those behaviors because I need to feel something. And when I'm scared, I don't like that feeling. So I'm going to mimic a behavior. And, and I, the final point on this is I take umbrage because the doctor uh, gave the full profile of the overweight, uh, mystery <laughs> was eating poor food. Doc, I got to tell you, great story. Brian and I are teaching at Benning. And uh, so uh, I, I tell Shelly, I think I'm having a heart attack because we're going, we're not sleeping, we're doing all this other stuff, and I think I'm in, you know, great physical and mental shape. And so I go to a sports medicine doctor in in Atlanta. This is back when I had money, and uh, the sports medicine doctor comes out after conducting every test known to man, and uh, looks at me and goes, "Okay, uh, you keep eating like you do, you keep doing the stress that you're doing right now, and you keep smoking like you do, you'll be dead in a year." So that person said, "I need this eight medicines, I need this, I need that, and I need all the other stuff." I looked at our CEO and I said, that's not going to happen. So I've been dropping weight since then. I've been eating right since. I know it doesn't look, but remember the camera had 60 pounds. Uh, Marin holds me to task when we're out anywhere. It's always the salad and the fish and uh, the unprocessed stuff in class. We have to eat the elderberries and and drink stream water. I mean, it's that crazy. (laughs) But the idea is that I then said, okay, I need to take control back in my life. So, Doc, what you're bringing us is you're bringing us a sane, sober, rational light of day, look you in the clear eye without the jaundice, uh, 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 yellow journalistic horse crap that we have to deal with. And you're saying, hey, it's a disease. And there, there were previous coronaviruses. This will probably mutate because I assume a disease is going to want to survive. So maybe it'll mutate a little to survive a little longer. But there's going to be something next. We're, we're not sure what that is, right, Doc? But I, I'm assuming there's something down the pipe that we haven't forecasted yet, right? Absolutely. I mean, I'm 100% sure that the coronavirus has mutated in some way, shape or form from Wuhan and it will continue to mutate. Now, whether those mutations help it live or help it to die easier, you know, we don't know, but you and I are mutating all the time as well. And and so I want to ask you guys, so um, maybe Brian, Brian, when you were deployed, was it harder on you or harder on your family when you were deployed? And when you're back from deployment, was it harder on you or harder on your family when you were back? That's a great question. When I was deployed, it's always harder on my family and people back at home. And then when I'm back from deployment, it's horribly hard on me and they love it. And that's, I mean, that's a great, great example of it. Um, number of reasons for that too. You know, you, you know, when you're on that deployment and you're out, especially when it's chaotic time and you're in there doing your job and you're fight like, that's what you signed one. It's what you signed up to do. It's what you wanted to do. But I'm, I'm, you're in such an environment where nothing else matters, but your survival from one day to the next and accomplishing your mission. So it's almost this, you have this incredible freedom where you are not bound to like, I don't have to stay in touch with anyone. I don't have to uphold social norms. I don't have to uh, do anything but just these few things every day. It's incredibly simple. It's a violent world. It's 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 uh, dangerous. But like, there's some this unbelievable freeing experience about that 
that you don't, all the daily crap that we people worry about, you just, it goes away because of necessity. Now you're the opposite is your family back at home. It's just, they're reading every news article, watching TV. They're, they're freaking out. They're going to, you know, that brought my old man to church every day, which is insane. You know what I mean? Like it got like, you know, it just going back to you're reaching out to anyone you can for support and love and, and lashing out at people. And I mean, it's a chaotic, tumultuous time for those folks at home. And you're just living this free range lifestyle when you're deployed. I don't know. That's kind of was my experience anyway. Absolutely. hundred percent. I think that's a fairly common experience. And, and Greg, how, how do you think that deployment kind of mentality plays into the coronavirus right now with yeah. us staying home with, how do you think that and the control and everything we just spoke about? Yeah. And, and I think the, the, that you touched on a huge point right there. And, and we always tell our, our readers and our viewers to do your homework. And what you did is you just proposed a question where I would say, pause for a minute, uh, your tape right now and think of what your answer at home would be and then press play uh, uh, to see what's going on. My thing is that now you've taken an additional level of control away from folks and you put them in a situation where some things are going to be even more uncomfortable. And then now you're worried about the finances and, and uh, now you're seeing your family face to face at times that you were actually at the Starbucks or, you know, flirting around the water cooler or sharing a, a, a joke or something. All of those experiences that you've never planned on or hadn't done very uh, much. And now it's day after day. And now you don't see the end. You don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. Because it's nebulous. Uh, a virus controls time. You don't control the time of the virus. So I, I, I think if that's what you're going for, Doc, I can feel that a lot of people would feel helpless during that period. Yeah. What do you think, Brian? Yeah, I would say it, kind of exactly what uh, what Greg was saying is that you know if you don't, it, it, you now you're in that period where, like you said, you have to deal with a whole bunch of stuff you you haven't dealt with before, and you have no control over your life, and you're sitting around your like you said family and you know, all day long now where you all used to get breaks from each other. You know, the kid, like, like my, it's like a little, little seven-year-old, she used to go to school all day long. She's a very active person. And you realize just how active she is now that she's home all day long. <laughs> There's and not then, enough NyQuil in the house, man. You know, yeah. It. My, my wife and I at least are, are used, you know, used to, she mostly works from home when I'm not traveling, I work from home. So we're used to that every day. So we're okay with that. But like, but there are times where people, if you're, you're not, you haven't done that before, you know, that, that add in the uncertainty, if you're not working, uh, that's huge. I mean, a lot of our work is now up in the air, got slid to the right. Cause we're like, well, we do in-person training. We can't go anywhere. Um, there are some things we can do online, but it's not for the price that we charge when we go places. And, and so that's a huge deal. So if people are facing that, man, that's a, that's a lot of uncertainty, but you know, I, I always look at this is, these are time, you know, we always look at, you look at the hardest times in your life is the greatest now looking back, right? Like, man, that's when I, I, I triumphed over whatever the obstacle was or whatever the fear was or the situation was. And, and, and I was successful like this. These are the times that make people that make countries. This is what the U S is known for is not from, for cowering away. It's for during times of struggle, uh, we overcome and, and, and we always have, especially here in, in the United States, we've, we've defeated every, every threat to our nation so far. So, so why would that suddenly change? But, but yeah, I mean, from, from everyone's perspective at home, that's incredibly difficult and, and, and stressful to not have that control over your life. 
I completely agree. I completely agree. The, the interesting point is, I think the, the one thing that holds most of us back, the one thing that makes us hold on to fear is certainty of an outcome. Right? So if we, and it's kind of counterintuitive because if we're certain that an outcome is going to deliver us a certain set of parameters. So you're overweight, you smoke, and, and you're a stress bomb, then you're going to die in a year, Greg, right? Mm-hmm. So, but there, there's some comfort in that, right? You go to work after having a bad family relationship or something's off in your family. You can separate yourself yep. from it. You can have your own persona. You can live your own reality until you come home. Well, now you're stuck at home. Right. Right. We control our own destinies. And I think that's what what makes most people most afraid, because if you actually are in control of your destiny, now I'm not talking about the freak accident where, you know, a meteor falls from the sky and, and obliterates you. OK, there's there's some things that happen that are against your control. But the vast majority of who we are, who we become, what we do is completely within our control. And I think that is the basis of all fear. And when something like the coronavirus comes into play, we can now point at it and use it as the scapegoat for us not taking control where we know we can achieve a higher potential. Absolutely. See, we're afraid of of the abilities that we've been given. We're afraid of our intelligence, our physical stamina, our whatever. And when we actually stop and look at it and say, you know what, I'm capable of almost anything. Maybe I can't leap from my porch and fly uh, like Superman. But for the vast majority of things, we are in control. And I think that is the basis of all fear. For me in Iraq, the hardest thing that I dealt with in Iraq, and it's, it's delusions of grandeur and it's all of that. The hardest thing I dealt with was I couldn't make the insanity stop. I couldn't make the pain and suffering stop. I couldn't control it. I controlled when somebody was bleeding out in front of me, Mm -hmm. right? And I was very good at trauma. I, by the grace of God, if somebody came to me alive, they left alive. But that's too late. And it's the same system in America right now. By the time people come to the doctor, all it is is disease care. Take these eight pills and, and, and go on your way, right? It's too late because the entire medical system is set up on treating diseases and death. I spent less than one week, less than one week in medical school learning about how to keep my mind, body, and spirit healthy. It's incredible. It resulted when I got to Iraq, I lost my faith. I went to seminary beforehand, before medical school, I lost my faith in Iraq, and I've been trying really hard to rebuild it ever since. But it's too late. It's not too late for anybody listening to this program. And for people who are not willing to start eating well and exercising and taking care of their mind, body, and spirit, you have to ask yourself, what are you afraid of? Because we know all that stuff is crap. We know it hurts us. It hinders us. it, It doesn't let us live up to our potential. We don't feel good. We don't look good. We don't do anything good. So what is the emotional disease? What is the basis of your fear that has convinced you that you are not worth living up to your potential? And we find these little nuggets of truth in the coronavirus. And again, I'm not trying to downplay the coronavirus. We need to respect it, but treat it appropriately. Do not turn it into the scapegoat 
right. of allowing you to not live up to your potential. Exactly. We live in the greatest country that's ever been and probably ever will be. doesn't mean we don't have things to work on. We do. But in this country, any man, woman, or child can become anything they want to become. Years ago, before medical school, I was right-handed. And then when I applied to medical school and got in, I thought, wow, I really need to become ambidextrous. So for the next year, I spent an entire year doing everything with my left hand, brushing my teeth, playing tennis, playing ping pong, everything. You know those Myers-Briggs tests that you take that does your personality? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had done about eight of those prior to this little experiment. Of course, of course you did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and from all of my schooling and all that nonsense, and they were always the same. And I was always like 75 or 76% left brain and the other 20 whatever right brain. After one year of using my left hand continually, I was then, my whole Myers-Briggs changed everything. And I was now 49%, 51% left brain, right brain. That's cool. And, and the cool thing is, is that it doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter what you've experienced. It doesn't matter where your emotional home is. You have the power to change it if you're just not afraid of living to your potential. Yeah, it's you made some incredible points, and I think you know in this we we get into. I know you you've just written a book uh, about the healthcare industry as a whole, and I think you just kind of gave an analogy for ourselves that can be applied to how we treat and and how our current medical or healthcare system is, right? Uh, meaning you're just talking about, look, it's all, because we're all about prevention and what we do, right? So all human behavior pattern recognition is all about, hey, how do you actually prevent an attack, uh, a school shooting, a suicide? Like, now I, there's plenty of people out there to tell you how to respond to it, but, but we're the ones that have been pounding the streets every day for years going, hey, this is how you prevent it. It's all about identification and mitigation, right? So again, like you just kind of said, our, our healthcare industry isn't really set up for that. Um, it, it's not that way now. I, I think there's a lot more talk about it. There's a, it's getting better as we do with everything, but, but I know that it's, it's a, it's still an issue of, it's all about just treating disease and, oh, you come in after something occurs and then I fix it or we do our best to, to, to manage it, whatever that issue is. I know you just wrote about that and I always preface this stuff with, again, right? Don't listen to the influencers, listen to the experts. Uh, healthcare in the United States is a very, very com complicated and complex issue, right? Um, I only know a little bit about it. Uh, uh, my, my dad does, uh, he's a lawyer, but does uh, healthcare stuff. He's all, you know, clinical integration type stuff and has been in healthcare for 25, 30 years with hospitals and everything. So when he starts going talking about it, I'm just like, oh my God, this is absolutely insane. Like w this is incredibly complicated. So uh, I always preface those comments with that. So so how is it, you can get into your book a little bit and, and what you're writing about, but but what is it that you see the issues in, in that healthcare industry and how we, how we treat humans? All right, so universal healthcare. Okay. All right, I'm pausing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, universal healthcare. Whatever you just heard me say, whether you thought I was for it or against it, whether you thought it was a good idea or a bad idea, just like we were talking about someone's emotional home earlier, yep. you just learned what your true political home is. All right. So if you heard of universal health care and you thought, oh, that SOB, Democrat, progressive liberal, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Or if you thought, man, fiscally conservative, you just now found your bias. And 
unfortunately, most of our biases on healthcare in this country are not really ours. They're the propaganda that we've been fed by industry, right? So when I say universal healthcare, people automatically say it's a socialist system. When in fact, if you look at all the universal healthcare, which by the way, America is the only wealthy, industrialized, progressive nation on the planet that doesn't have it. Because that, we spend almost twice as much as any other country for the exact same services. We have about 700,000 medical bankruptcies a year. Everybody who's listening to this podcast, whatever you think of healthcare, you know that when you go to the doctor, you have no idea what it's going to cost, no idea if your insurance is going to cover it, no idea anything. Right. To Greg's point, we have no control. So universal healthcare, guys, whatever you automatically judged me by and what I was saying and the topic by, that gives you your bias. Now, once we know our biases, we know our weaknesses. Because if we don't have an open mind to research and actually figure out what we're talking about and just stick to our biases, what that allows everybody to do is allows to put somebody in a bucket. Yep. Once we put somebody in a bucket, maybe their nose is too big and genocide is okay. Maybe their skin is a little different color so we can judge them and put them in a box. Maybe all of these little things that we do that allow us to put another person in a box, that allows us to immediately discredit them immediately marginalize them and immediately take away our ability to grow, to become, and to become part of the solution. So my book, it's 90, 90% stories from Iraq, stories from America as a doctor and stories as a veteran trying to get care in America. So it's 90% stories and the stories are entertaining. Let's face it, they're entertaining topics. And it's 10% using my master of public health to explain why healthcare is how it is in this country and what we can do to change it. Just one little thing. If we were to do just one little thing, we would have enough money to reduce Greg and Brian and all of your family's co-pays and deductibles to zero and ensure every citizen in this country and medically for major stuff and have money left over. One little thing. And it's control the administrative costs that the major insurance companies place on us. Right now, in America, 34%, 34, over a third, just barely, over a third of all healthcare dollars spent are spent handling the administrative requirements of the insurance companies that are put into place so that the insurance companies can make more money. They are about prior authorizations, denying care, denying medications, denying bills, putting it on the patient, advertising, all these sort of things. 34% in America right now. And this, is, this came out in the Annals of Internal Medicine in January of this year. Right now, in America, $2,500 per person per year is spent just on administrative costs of healthcare to make insurance companies more money. That's in Canada, the same, uh, same thing, it's about $551 per person per year. If we were to just take away these administrative controls that... 99% of them are designed to save the insurance company money at your expense as a patient. If we were to just do that, we'd have an extra $6 billion with a B dollars to spend on healthcare. Again, reducing your insurance to zero or copay to zero, deductible to zero. That doesn't even get into the, you know, the title of my book is Universal Death Care, a solution for healthcare in the age of entitlement. So um, 
it doesn't even get into the, our personal responsibility for living up to our potential by being actually healthy. Right. Forget about all of that. Right now we spend 17% of our GDP on healthcare. France spends 11% has better outcomes for almost every measurable outcome you can possibly imagine in healthcare. They have more doctors per capita. They have more hospital beds per capita the modifiable diseases to prevent death. They have better statistics than we do. And it is a free market system. It's not socialized medicine. Great Britain is really the only place that has socialized medicine. So for all these people that heard universal death care and judge me as a progressive liberal, I actually think I'm about the most conservative on this topic that you could possibly be. And yet people judge it instantly without really knowing what they're talking about. So on, on that, and, and this is coming from, I would say myself, not very informed in this, meaning the more I read into healthcare and the more I hear stuff, the different articles or studies I've read, I'm just like, okay, uh, the more I read, the, the less I know, right? Because I'm like, wow, this is gets, there's a, and, and especially when you look at it from like, just like a, a macroeconomic uh, perspective, you know, you're dealing with a lot of people. So there's variables that, that affect it and affect costs that you wouldn't think of, but, but went at a macro scale for a couple hundred million people. Well, now it becomes a, a huge cost. But so what would you say to the people that go, well, well, yeah, those countries don't have the quality of care that we do. And if we change it, it'll change incentive for doctors and there might be less innovation or, or, or those countries that we get compared or people like to compare to are a lot of times more like homogenous type cultures or systems, or they don't have the quality that we have. They don't have the type of healthcare. Like they don't have the amount of beds or respirators or, or MRIs per person. Like everyone does the Canada one where I've heard like, well, yeah, but if you want to go get an MRI in Canada, you got to wait two, three weeks or something. And now these are, I don't know how true, uh, the, whether these are anecdotal stories or whether there's actual data back it up, but what would you say to that? Someone who, who said that, uh, you know, that would be against what, what you think is right. I, I've learned that I can't change people's minds. It, right. I, I, can, I can tell you about the World Health Organization. I can tell you all the studies they've done. I can tell you all that. Um, and I can tell you that everything you said was just false. Right? It's just, it's, it's propaganda. Okay. So, um, and that's, so that, that might be an answer enough for, for me at least to go, well, look, there's no data to back that up, right? We're, Greg and I are information scientists, right? Same thing. We, right. we look up stuff and go, where, where does the data, what does the data show? Because if it's, if the data set is good, right, if it's, if it's, uh, you know, if it expresses what the actual issue is accurately, well, then you can't, you can't deny it. Now you might disagree on how to, how to deal with that situation. Okay. I could see that. But, but in terms of numbers, you, you got to look at it and go, well, what does the data actually say? And that's what my point is on the book. My point is, is I use these stories as parables and then I ask people to look it up on their own. I mean, if you listen, the U.S. is ranked 37th in the world on healthcare right now. Canada is about 30th, I think, 31st, something like that. I think France is more the model. So I don't really like comparing to Canada because they've got some significant issues there. But still, with their significant issues, if you actually research it, you'll be quite shocked. So I've learned to stop saying, well, the World Health Organization says this 37th and 31, even yeah. though I just said it. I, I've learned to say, guys, just look it up for yourselves. Because we come to this and say, I'm a Republican or I'm a Democrat. And therefore, mm -hmm. I've pigeonholed myself into a category of whatever I believe, whether or not it's backed by science or not. So again, 
everybody at the beginning of this learned their bias when I said the words universal health care. Right. That will tell you your vulnerability to either blindly accept it or blindly throw it out. And both are equally dangerous. Yeah. But my plea in the book is, I say it many times, I do not have all the answers. I've researched it a lot. I think I have an idea of a way forward. But I promise you that we do have all the answers if we become educated. And I think that medical care is a human need. I do not think it has any realm in partisan power plays. Because when your daughter or son is sick, you do not care. I promise you, you don't care if you're a Democrat or Republican. You want them to get the best care and get them better. And it's a human need. Now, politics and politicians, they've used words like socialized medicine to decide, uh, describe universal health care because socialized is a four-letter word for us. There's only one system that kind of sort of is. That's Great Britain or our VA system. Right. right. Or right. very loosely, maybe the Medicare system. Very loosely. And our elderly love Medicare. So my point is, is that Guys, we're, you, know, you now know your bias, just like you know your emotional home. Now you know where you're vulnerable. Either change your destiny so your emotional home switches so you have the life you want. Similarly, look into the research that's out there so you can be educated and informed. And if you're on the opposite side of the table for me and have a completely different opinion, I will listen to you all day long as long as it's educated and informed. I really have no interest in listening to people just saying, hey, I'm a Republican, so therefore universal health care is horrible, and you're a socialist, get out of the country. You know, So we need to start talking to each other, not yelling at each other. And the only way to do that is do the research for yourself and then listen to the opposing point of view more than you talk. Well, that's, 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 the, that's the issue. Um, so I had that issue as a kid in school, meaning my teachers were constantly telling me that I had to do my homework and I didn't want to do my homework. It wasn't until much later in life uh, that I went, oh, wow, like all this information is out there. It's up to me to go uh, un try and understand it and, and, and look at it yourself. And you're saying the same stuff as to us as, you know, we always tell people, hey, look, do your homework. Hey, we're going to talk about this case. We're going to break it down the way we do and do your homework and actually find out what the real facts are behind it, because that's yeah. going to open your eyes. And it's, it's difficult to do that. But, but you know, you, you, you brought up a lot of stuff about just, just burning calories and, and meaning it's not on a, like, of course, healthcare shouldn't be a political issue, but it is uh, a certain thing shouldn't be the coronavirus shouldn't be a political issue, but it, it absolutely is. Uh, and, and both sides are, are, are guilty of, of trying to capitalize All on sides. that. All yeah, sides. Oh, yeah, abs absolutely. Um, so I, I, I would say this, Brian, I, I would say a couple of things got to come out of that. And one doc, uh, because your description, first of all, everybody that's listening, all our, uh, uh normal viewers, you know, that Marin's going to put something up on the site, a link to the doc's book, please, uh, give it a like, I can't wait to read it doc. Uh, but because your description just now was so brief and, uh, uh, it was so simple that it was elegant. Uh, Brian and I will pledge to provide the security for you because <laughs> all of the numbskulls out there that are the haters that, that don't want to do their homework and that will line up and throw stuff at your house. We're there for you. Well, uh, I, go ahead, Jared. Sorry. And, and, and no, and then the, the second part of that is I want to make sure that we don't lose uh, uh, focus on on the fear aspect that goes along with this as well. Because one of the parallels, Brian, that the doc mm -hmm. made uh, just a few minutes ago, a uh, long time ago, I, I wrote a thing and I just drew a line on a yellow pad and I said, okay, uh, this is bang. Uh, all of these incidents are left of bang. This would be at bang. 
this would be right of bang, and then way over here would be left of the next bang. You have to prepare for all of those in an emergency situation, specifically whether it's criminal or terroristic. And the reason that we're afraid of terrorists, the reason we're afraid of criminals, we don't know those things. And so therefore, all our responses are at bang. Our response for suicide is at bang. Our response for uh, uh, school shootings is at bang. And you made a great case that that's how our, our, our uh, uh, medical system is the same thing, is you go in at bang, and now you want some sort of uh, a, a wonderful solution to it. And I think we could liken that right back to COVID, where, listen, we knew something was coming down the pipe because we, we've had all these previous incidents. But what happened is, yeah, we have this wait-and-see attitude. Marin and I get the wait-and-see from everybody yeah, we go to. We go, listen, you know, you're more likely to die from heart disease or chronic respiratory disease than you are any of these other incidents. But you have to be mindful of terrorism and, and, and criminality. And they're like this, walking around going, hey, I will feel my way through, you know, you know, discovery learning uh, rather than than listen to the science. So we're on your side on and, this, Mary. And, I just and, want to make sure that. We no, no, because that's side. exactly it, because that goes back to kind of what you said earlier and what we preach is, look, it's what what part do I play in this? You know, you yep. know, your health care is your responsibility. Largely your say, responsibility. Like, your security is your responsibility. Um, um, and you talk about just preventative care because this gets into a little bit of, uh, of uh, your your background because uh, of what you chose in terms of, of you know, kind of where, where you went with, with, uh, um, I know there's a difference between like an MD and a DO, right? So, so you're an osteopathic doctor, right? So that's a difference between there's, there's different types of doctors. So we can go in on that, but, but what you just said is, you know, Hey, there's a lot of prevention and it's all about me. Everything you talked about the fear, it's all about, well, what do you want to do? And even what you said with researching universal Absolutely. healthcare, it's you have to burn the calories and go do it yourself. Um, so that's difficult for people, right? All humans, even though we're it's all just a lazy. click sometimes you're exactly right, right. 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 We're all inherently lazy, uh, uh because yeah, our brain's just trying to conserve calories and keep us alive. So we have to fight that and, and expend them. But could tell us a little bit of different uh, about you know how your your view of healthcare kind of probably went into why you chose a certain path, right? Sure. So I'm an osteopathic physician, a DO. Um, nothing against the allopaths or the MDs. Uh, we all have the same training. DOs take on more training because we're a little bit more supposed to be a little bit more holistic. Uh, understand more about how the body all fits together, structures, functions. So. If uh, the structure of your arm is broken, you're not going to be able to lift weight, that sort of thing. So we, we try to be more holistic. And that's how I try to approach every topic in my life is more holistic. Like, look at what you have, look at why you have it, and then do another couple levels down to figure out why you actually are doing what you're doing. So my, my solution for healthcare in this country is to um, make it available to everybody. But in order to do that, everybody has to be held accountable for their own actions and decisions. Yeah. Not if they were born with something, you know, it's not their fault. But right now, how healthcare is in this country is, let's do a, a car insurance analogy. So right now, what healthcare is like is car insurance where you're responsible for the person who's speeding next to you. So the person that whizzes by you at 100 miles an hour, you, Brian, actually get that ticket because you're driving responsibly. And that person, well, you know, whatever, because in this country right now, the, the obesity, first of all, about three, three quarters of men are overweight or obese and about 60% of women are overweight or obese. And we know that between 50 and 85% of all healthcare dollars spent in America 
are spent on treating enormously preventable diseases. Again, not the freak car accidents, not mm. the I was born with a genetic condition. Right. Things that people could absolutely control and not pass that burden on to everybody else. So Medicare is set to be bankrupt by 2030. And right now we have about 12% of the population who have diabetes, the type from being overweight, not the type that you're genetically born with. You're skinny and you still get diabetes. You know, by 2050, one third of the country is going to have diabetes from being overweight. And if right now we're spending between 50 and 85% of all healthcare dollars treating preventable diseases, if we would just take care of ourselves, we wouldn't have them. Then what's it going to be in 2050 when a right. third of people are diabetic? We have to stop the insanity. If you, this is America, it's a free country. If you want to be overweight, smoke and drink too much, fine. Just pay for it enough now and throughout your life so that when you get to Medicare age and it's on the government's dime, that you actually cover the expenses that you're going you to go. consume. Right. Right. So that's just one step. Another step is control the administrative thing. Like in France right now, everybody carries around a card and that card has their entire medical history on it. Everything that's ever happened, every medication, every surgery, every, everything. And they just plug it in. The doctor does his note and the doctor gets immediately paid. Patient leaves. And now they have their right there. There's only one set of rules. Right now, healthcare in America is like going into a grocery store and getting a jug of milk. And you take it to checkout and they say, hey, yeah, I don't know. It could be a dollar. It could be $10. We'll send it to somebody else. We'll get the answer back in three weeks or three months. And then you're responsible for whatever it is. There's no price transparency. In France, lots of other countries, there's one price for everything. So when you go to the doctor, you know what you're going to pay. See, if we could just make people accountable and if we could just reduce the administrative burden so there's not literally thousands of rules for each procedure that's out there, so it's so onerous that the cost is through the roof, we would have so much money to spend on healthcare and so many other things, it would be insane. So all I'm asking for, I'm asking for people to be accountable for their own decisions. I think that's a very conservative platform, Absolutely. by the way. Absolutely. Two, I'm asking for administrative control so that people understand what they're purchasing when they purchase it. That's it. Yeah. Now, right. in order to accomplish that, yeah. <laughs> you have to have government say, okay, insurance, look, you can sell private insurance like they do in France. France has private insurance, guys. But there's only one price that you can charge a patient and only one price a doctor can get for this. And we can, by the way, do things like price negotiate medications which Congress decided the government should not price negotiate for medications back in 2003. Whatever the drug companies want to charge, they should charge it because government shouldn't be involved. Are you kidding me? So we are, when we talk about universal healthcare, first of all, it's not socialized medicine. Look it up, guys. Second of all, I still want a free market. I just want that free market to have some reins on it so you and I know what we're purchasing and how much. And third of all, I want accountability. That's it. Right. Yeah. And, and those, I, I think, uh, you know, at a general level, a lot of people can agree with, yeah, do I want people held accountable? Okay. But that gets into a lot of like, well, can't, we can't rely on people like, you know, when those laws first came out in New York a few years back and there are a few other places where they said, you know, you can no longer buy a soft drink that's over this size or something like that. You know, part of me says, well, wait a minute, like you can't control people want to do what they want. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, 
it's not that it's just, a knee jerk, though. It's it's, it's uh, people should be free to make the decisions that that they want to make, right? But at the same time, uh, we're paying for that. You are pay- like right. we always tell people, look, you're gonna pay. Uh, how you're going to one pay. way or the other one way you're paying yeah, either that's, exactly. that's why it's so important have the soft drink yeah have exactly. the soft drink so big it could be your hot tub yeah but don't make me pay for that choice of that you right. have made and, that's, and that's that's what what people that's a, a difference of, with a distinction though brian you're, you're on because a lot of people don't understand that 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 person those people that are doing that like you 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 might be of the hey no anyone could, should be able to walk in and buy because every once in a while if I want to go get a sixty four ounce big gulp then I should be able to right because I work out and I take care of myself right but at the same time all of those people that are doing that living those unhealthy lives they're not paying for their medical care uh, uh, I am we, all of us taxpayers are exactly. so so, so we, we get a vote so we so do get it, a say it, yeah, it, yeah, yeah we that, should. Yeah. And, and Marin, it's not unlike uh, uh, Doc Marin and I used to uh, uh, all over the world, but we used to Doc Marin. Uh, no, Doc, comma <laughs> Marin and I. Uh, uh, I wore them boots one time uh, in California, specifically. We spent a lot of time training pre-deployment trips, so uh, our teams would be going from Monterey back down to 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 the SEAL camps and then everywhere in between. And one of the things that that made me laugh all the time is that California is and not to bash California, but I'm gonna please uh, do saying about hey, listen about the the traffic and the environment and this and that. And I would look as we were driving up the five or on the one or on the the four oh five, and every other vic around us uh, was one one player, one person that was in there, you know, eating, doing their eyebrows, and causing the stuff. Well, you can't have it both ways. You can't say that you want to safeguard the environment and then turn around and and drive the uh, big ultra Hummer alone absolutely everywhere you want to go. And that's a problem, Brian, I think that you just illustrated. Like, like uh, for example, mindfulness isn't a thing you do. Mindfulness is how you live your life. So if, if you want to live in an ethical and legal and moral manner, then you have to modify your behavior. And, and if you don't modify your behavior, somebody will call you on it. That's why we're a nation of laws. But it's funny when it comes to this issue, yeah. everything's up. You get what I'm trying to <laughs> yeah. say? It's all up in the air. And today we're not going to go that way. And that every four years we have to choke down this, this rhetoric, this, this, this harmful horse shit that is put out by, by people fighting uh, over issues that should come down to us. We should be able to vote on these issues as a nation. Eh, just, just my yeah. rant. So, guys, do you remember what President Bush said why we went into Iraq? Do you all remember that? It threatened our lifestyle, our way of life, right? People want to say that they're woke, which I don't don't like the term, but it's out there. So they want to say that they're woke because they know about issues. But are they actually willing to change their lifestyle? Or they just want to be, quote unquote, woke. They want to point to something. Yeah, so they can lord it over somebody else. So you want to talk about resilience? You want to talk, you tell your people how to become resilient? Realize that nothing defines you except for what you choose. Your actions define you. Your destiny defines you because you have control over it. You want resilience? When somebody says universal healthcare, whether you agree with it or disagree with it, you want resilience? Look it up for yourself. If you want to weather any storm in life, get the accurate information. Ask other people who have different points of view. See, in our society right now, Brian, if you disagree with me on something, I just give you the proverbial middle finger, call you names, and then tell you why you're wrong, which leaves zero opportunity for growth for me. And it leaves our relationship fractured so that there's no relationship. All I've done is made you the other ignorant. Yes. 
So if we want resilience, we have to be strong enough in ourselves to question everything understand where our emotional homes are, our political homes are, and there's nothing wrong with those, but make it a conscious choice based Absolutely. off of education and who you want to be 10 years from now, not who you were 10 years prior. That's it. That's resilience, guys. Take control. That's why our tagline is training changes behaviors. You have to do part of it. It's largely in your arena, and you have to go out and seek out the industry experts on a topic and get that and then weigh the information for yourself. Not read a meme, not, not have an empty platitude. Do you get what I'm trying to say? And everybody slaps the table and goes, that's what I want, because that's horse crap. That, 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 you're not doing your part. You're not doing any of the heavy lifting to get us from A to B. And, and, you know, you, you talk about questioning your own beliefs um, that, you know, that's difficult for a lot of people to do. You know, I, I always try to that one, I've, I just assume um, most of what I know or believe is wrong uh, due to my, due to my uh, Catholic your upbringing, school, Catholic uh, your school relationship upbringing with me and, and, and psychological yeah. and emotional abuse from abuse. my, from my father. So, so I just assume what I'm doing is wrong. So I already have a head start in that where I'm like, that's uh, so probably, true. I, this is probably wrong, but here's what I can prove. Here's what I can show. But, but no, that, that's, uh, and, and a, it too, also when going back to fear and, and control and, and how this works is, um, you know, people don't like ambiguous answers. They don't like not knowing, you know, it's you, you, being, you know, go back to, we, we, you've heard the line before too, from your service, you know, get comfortable being uncomfortable is that's very uncomfortable to go, well, I don't know. Like, I, here's what I here's the the limit to what I can show and prove. But after that, hey, I, I'm not really certain. And people don't want to hear that. You know, that's why. Like, there's we want black and white. We want concrete answers. We go. We'll, we'll explain this. You know, I was. That's why I love. Uh, you know, Greg sent me one book, but I'm always either reading or trying to understand physics or or quantum mechanics or or looking at you know astronomers going explaining the stars and how everything works and going. Jesus, man, like this is incredible. And then when someone poses a question and they go, well, we're not sure. And people go, oh, then it's the conspiracy theory comes out. Well, then it's this. And, and then, well, what do you really know then? It's right. like, well, look, this is the limits of where we're at right now. Well, one day we will know just like we didn't, we, there was a whole lot we didn't know just like a hundred years ago. Uh, we've come a long way, but, but, but this goes into fear and control. Like uh, if I have to question my beliefs and what I, what I know, that's uncomfortable and I got to burn calories and I got to research stuff and I got to look it up on my own. And you know, that's, that's difficult to do, but I would say that actually, uh, as a whole, uh, people are doing that more. Uh, this is why people are listening to podcasts because they don't want to get the same crap they see on TV going, Hey, this is BS. Let they're me go choosing find the message. Yeah. They're, they're, they're choosing their message, yeah, which, which, so. which there's always two sides to that coin that also leads, right? can lead you down a really bad rabbit hole of, of some type of self radicalization. Uh, that's, that's easy to occur, but, but also I, I always think the net result is always going to be better in a more informed person. Uh, so, so that's kind of, that's kind of hard to do. And especially, but that is a good way to build resilience, right? We talk about learning adaptability and critical thinking and sense-making skills because um, that stuff actually builds your resilience. That's when you don't, that you're less likely to have that emotional response over something because, hey, I've seen, I've been here before. Or I've seen something like this. And that's kind of, kind of what, what we get into a, a lot, but um, you know, I want to kind of go ahead. Can, go ahead. I, can I share one? Uh, um, human behavior is entirely predictable. Right. You know, that that's, yeah. that's the whole message thank, of your thank you. We're done here now. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I want to share a brief story about my, my biggest failure, my biggest shameful moment in my entire life. Um, 
And it, it illustrates why I try to ask people to do research on their own and to question. So I'm, I'm in Iraq, it's a mass casualty, and I write about this in the book, but it's a mass casualty and there's a lot of people who are injured, but there's two really bad. One, an Iraqi insurgent who shot the Marine that was in the same cargo bay as me. Now, I, I had a reputation over there. I was very good at trauma. And so I took the most injured who happened to be the Iraqi citizen who shot the Marine who was 10 feet away, eight feet away, something like that. And it's in an old, dirty building and we're getting mortared, right? So dust is coming off the ceiling and the building shaking. And, and I can hear not only the Marine eight, 10 feet away, but also all the others and the agony and the misery that's happening. And my patient, the Iraqi insurgent who attacked us, um, you know, he's got multiple gunshot wounds and he's cold. So one of the rules of trauma is you can't call a code until somebody is warm. So normal body temperature, because when your body starts to shut down, your metabolism starts to shut down and, you know, you could be 70 degrees, but that's just your body's response. So you, you have to be warm and dead. Warm and dead. I mean, we're taught that day one medical school, warm and dead. You can't be cold and dead. So I do a couple of, of maneuvers to act like I'm resuscitating this guy, but my heart isn't into it. And I just left. I left to let him die. And I walked up to the other, another doctor there because there's a rule that you have to pronounce somebody dead by presenting to another doctor. This is the first time I was willing to let, let go of somebody. And I just gave a really quick whatever. And, and the doctor, a uh, brief, and the doctor said, Reagan, hold on, cold, 70 degrees or 65 degrees or whatever his body temperature was. I said, yeah, he goes, not dead until warm and dead. I was like, yeah, but he's multiple gunshot wounds, hypovolemic, like all this sorts of things. He's dead. I want to go utilize my resources over here on the Marines. Yeah. He looked at me and said, not dead until warm and dead. And I, I literally wanted to rip his throat out at that moment. Yep. There's no part of me that wanted to treat an Iraqi yeah. who had shot Marines because he was the other. And again, this is my most shameful moment in life. But he was the other, and I wanted him to die. I wanted to help the Marines, my brothers. He stared me down, and I had a choice, rip his throat out or actually do my job and be a human. I went back to the Iraqi. Within two minutes, I had his body temperature up, him stabilized, and him off to surgery, and his life was safe. And then. I could go help the Marines. See, my little temper tantrum of judging another human because he, whatever, he shot at us. He has a different point of view than us. He did whatever than us. Kept me from my goal of saving lives and even kept me from the goal of helping the other Marines. Because right. the more time I, I messed around with this Iraqi not really doing my job, I could have done it, done it well and moved on. I, I'm still deeply ashamed of that. I mean, it hurts to the core, um, but it taught me something very valuable. You hear the term universal healthcare. You hear anything that's contentious. And if you immediately go to a snap judgment and label the other person, think about that story. Cause that's what I did. And it, it almost cost dearly. It, a couple of lives would have been ruined that day. The Iraqis and mine, I would have never, if I have a hard time letting go of it now, I'd never let go of it if I actually let them die. And that's why it's just such an important point to me. And that's why I wrote the book is we need to start talking to each other, researching on our own and not being afraid 
to learn something different. Man, yep. if I am the same person now that I will be in 10 years or vice versa, if I'm the same person 10 years from now, I just wasted a decade. I ought exactly. to be vastly different, vastly wiser, vastly smarter. And if I'm not, if I haven't changed, that just means I've stuck to my old dogmatic ways and I assumed everybody else was an idiot and I wasn't going to research things for my own because I'm a Republican or I'm a Democrat or I'm some other category that I can make myself into the most unresilient person in the world because I am now defining myself on one characteristic instead of defining myself on my potential. So one, you sound like somebody that's, that's been to our classes before and we're honored to have you on because I mean, you're spot on. Two, thank you for sharing that story. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I will tell you something. The roots of PTSD, why people kill each other, why people go and shoot up a school is because we're all fragile little snowflakes and we're afraid. And humans, we make mistakes. It's hard being a good human. It really is. And the more that we socialize that, the more that we talk to other folks about it, the more that we learn from mentors, the more that we're introspective. You know, uh, you said it uh, uh, on, on one of your sites, you, you, you quote Gandhi, uh, uh, be the change you want to see in the world. So I'm back east at a beltway and, and talking to a guy and uh, I, I just say, be the change because I know everybody could fill in the rest. And he stops and he turns around and he gets face to face with me and he goes, you know, there's no evidence that Gandhi ever said that quote. As a matter of fact, there was three other people during the same time frame. And, and I stopped and the same throat ripping scenario was about to happen. And I said, if that's what you got out of my whole message, you're lost, man. I, I'm never going to be able to bring you back in the boat. And I think what you did is you just you just laid it out for folks that the most highly trained, the most uh, wonderful and empathetic, uh, highly trained surgeon in that room on that day was having an ethical dilemma. You know what I'm yeah. saying? So, so me standing in Costco and wondering if I should punch this guy and grab the next roll of quilted Northern, uh, it pales in comparison. And I think that's the real key here is that human beings, it's hard to be resilient. You have to train at it. It's, it's hard to be empathetic. You have to you have to learn about that. And I just love your approach, Doc. I, I absolutely it's, a pleasure to have you. Here. It's a, that's a pretty in, incredible story. I mean, I can't, I imagine there's other, we've all been, had that situation or, or something similar, I guess, you in know, one that, way, that, shape that or form. moral dilemma of what's, yep. what's right and what you want to do. And especially when you got that anger and fear of like, I mean, yeah, I, I, that's this, how these situations escalate too, you know, you look at even uh, like the the Abu Ghraib prison uh, situation, like scandal and all all these different things. People go, or the one, you know, the which we were talking about the uh, from the East Coast, plunger the police, incident. yeah, the plunger incident inside of a guy uh, in a police station, and you're just going, how does this stuff happen? And it's right there where you just went, no, I'm not, I'm done with this guy. I don't want to help him. It's a game and of inches. But, but then you had you, you, well, but you had someone there who's going, "Hey, uh, what's the right thing to do here? What are you supposed to do? What's your actual job? What's your role? What's legal, moral, and ethical?" And when in places where you don't have those people, where that starts to break down, where you don't have that leadership to 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 right the ship to to get you back on course, it becomes catastrophic. Because what if then? Because then if if no one's there to do anything. Will that continue? Would that even right. get worse? Will or that go faith, from or your friend or your? And so, so, so that's that's a. I mean, it's it's important to have that, and so you like that back to those stressful times where you need to lean on each other, right? We can't do everything uh, on our own. We can't handle all the problems in the world on our own. It, it just doesn't work. Um, there are no self-made people. 
Um, you know, I don't like that term. There's always a self-made guy. No, he's not. He learned from everyone who told him no or yes or helped him or didn't help him on the shoulder throughout their whole life. Exactly. Uh, self-made people are like uh, uh, Ted Kaczynski was a self-made guy. He went to a if you have a manifesto, cabin. you are likely a <laughs> self-made I mean? human. Yeah, yeah. You know, so so that's that's it's we're we're kind of in this together, and you know, you had that person there, and so we have to be that. And and you brought right. up another great point when you said, "Man, you're still affected uh, by that." by your thoughts uh, and actions then, even though it was cor- the situation was corrected and you did the right thing, you know, what, what if you didn't, what if you hadn't done that right thing? Oh, and people are still going to judge you now and judge your oh, book by, by second guessing what you, what you thought of. And those so are, just have to accept those, that. those are the people that have never been in, in a more, never. morally compromising situation. You got it. So, so they can F off, you know, the, or, or, or buy the book, you know what I'm saying? I mean, exactly. like you go learn because if you haven't had those, those are become very, very gray areas and they get tough, man. And it shakes you to your core. And, so, so on that, because we've all, like we said, kind of at the beginning of the call are on the, the island of misfit toys of, of broken, we, we use the Welcome. term, we use the term broken human beings. And I don't mean that in a negative way at all. Cause if you're broken, you can be fixed, right? We just mean like we've been through different trauma or experience in our life where man, it's, 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 it's had a significant effect on us where we've had to get help or had issues from it. And, and that that's an ongoing process. I don't ever like I'm club. Proud, proudly admit like look i'm a broken fragile human being here's where my here's where my uh, stress fractures are and here's what makes it causes it to break but but you look at that you know i i know you had 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 difficulties with different post-traumatic stress and transitioning into civilian life uh it's so night and day difference even though you're still in the medical field uh, uh completely different than what you did and, and your mission was in so so how did that stuff affect you and what did you use? Because a lot of people use faith or family or friends or, or alcohol followed by poor decisions, rock bottom, and then realizing. So w- what do you do then for your resilience? Like what helped you transition and do that to be, I mean, you're a business owner, you employ people, you're still a successful doctor. I mean, you're continuing on that, but I know that stuff has affected you. So what have you found useful or, or what have you been able to do? So uh, first of all, to be clear, I have PTSD and um, I've had it and it's actually one of the things that makes me the strongest, um, one of the things that makes me stronger. So when I first got out of the military, I went into alcohol and all sorts of unhealthy behaviors. I mean, I remember being at a bar and a whole team of hockey players uh, was there and all wearing the same, you know, whatever shirt. Cause they just got done playing hockey and there was me and a friend and one of them had dog tags on there. Right. And so I went up and I said, Hey man, who'd you serve with? I want to buy you a drink. And he was, oh, I didn't serve. It's like, Oh, well, why, who do they represent? Cause they don't represent anybody. I said, so nobody, you know, has served, you don't serve. No. I said, well, you realize what dog tags are used for, right? They're, they're used to identify the dead, the soldiers that are dead. And you know, I, I did a couple tours in Iraq and when they're used as jewelry, they're, they're a little insulting to us. Uh, they're, they're to they're remember, right? They're to remember and know your place. And, um, and he kind of mouthed off. So Brian, I lunged at him yeah. and his 12 friends. Here you're right? fighting a whole hockey team. That's never a good idea. That's <laughs> not going to end well. Um, delusions of grandeur aside, it's not going to yeah. end well. And I, I had a number of those experiences I, I engaged in a lot of unhealthy behaviors because it came down to, I now had an excuse not to live up to my potential. Mm. I now had an excuse 
to crawl into a hole and never become anything. And the, the day I woke up and realized how selfish I was and I needed to get over it, I'm not that important, uh, was, the, was the beginning. The next step was every single, see, people with PTSD, we don't remember the event. We relive it because any event that is significant enough to spark through PTSD um, is an event that by definition means your brain cannot process it and put it in its proper spot. Right. So you will not remember it because memories are for things that your brain is put in the right spot. You relive it and your body forces you physically, viscerally to relive the experience. That's why the hypervigilance turns to aggressive behaviors so much because we are there, man. I mean, I know you've had probably moments too of you reliving something um, that happened in your deployments um, and, and Greg and law enforcement, you are reliving it. You're pulse goes up, your sweat, your posture changes, and your mindset is now in combat or in a, a dangerous, threatening situation because your body's trying to reprocess it so it can put it in its right place in your mind so that you can remember it. So every time I felt my body going back to Iraq, adrenaline, pulse, posture, anger, whatever, mindset, I forced myself to look at the situation and remember the event in Iraq. And I had to, I mean, man, I, I spent years looking out on the street and seeing dead bodies, burning bodies, burning buildings right in front of me as I'm walking past years. I haven't been there for a couple of years because I, I forced myself to look at it and remember the burning bus of, of women and children who weren't separate from the bus anymore. They were now part of it Jesus. because yeah. their flesh had become the bus, right? So I, forced myself to look at that. And then I forced myself to be there and I forced myself to feel it. And then I forced myself to realize that I'm not there anymore. And at first it took like an hour or however long. And then now it takes like half a second for my, my mind goes through all of that because I am not willing to let the past dictate my future. I'm letting, I'm willing to let the past make me stronger for the future so that I can help others. So every morning now, I get up, I do, whether you want to call them affirmations or prayer or meditation or visualization, I don't care what you want to call them. Mm -hmm. But I sit there and I visualize, pray about how my day will go. I think about things that could, quote unquote, trigger me. Really, the more accurate saying is I would allow them to trigger me because it's my choice. And so first you have to realize that you're not that important and get over yourself too, that there's a greater good and realize where you're at and face the fear, be there, sit there in the moment and then bring yourself back to the reality that is present day. And then you need to plan. You need to care enough about the people around you. You need to care enough about yourself. If you love this country, which I do about this great country to say, it's not about me. It's about me helping others. And so I'm going to plan so that when it happens in the future, I can actually think about all the predictable behaviors that somebody else is going to do or go through. And I don't need to be that. I can be the cool, calm, and collected and make my way through it. But if you don't plan for it, man, if you don't visualize it, if you don't realize that it's not about you and you're really not that important, it's about helping your fellow man, country, God and country, right? Then you're never going to get there. All of these people with PTSD and these problems, they like to wallow in it and have that be an excuse for throwing their life away. Now, 
the trauma that you went through is significant and I'm not minimizing it's horrific by definition, but are you going to keep renting space in your mind to that? Are you going to keep giving that person or that situation power over you? Or are you going to say enough? I'm my own person and this ends now so that I can live the life I want and so that I can help others live the life they want. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's amazing. You, you wrap, you incorporate a lot of the stuff that, that we try to teach. And, and, uh, you know, I, even back to when you talk about, we put people in buckets, uh, and we categorize things. So it's part of how we were kind of taught growing up in school or, or we have education, right? We have to, you know, we like to categorize things for a purpose of, well, that's how your brain works partially. That's how we, you know, I need to understand it rather than taking the time because I don't want to burn too many calories. I can just throw you back in this, this, uh, this bucket or this box that you had. And, and Greg, uh, has a great, um, analogy of what he uses with the, with the ice cube trays, right? So we pull an ice cube tray out of the freezer. Yeah. They're all frozen ice cubes in their own individual slot. But, but when it's just water in there and it hasn't frozen yet, you can, you can move that ice cube tray around and that water goes from one to the next because yeah, we can categorize ourselves into little groups, but, but, but we fall in a whole bunch of different ones. Right. And we can go from one to the next. So, uh, you know, and life's kind of sloppy, life, yeah. life is a little sloppy. It's not clear cut. There's a lot of chaos out there. Then we, we want to make some edges once in a while. And you know, you, you illustrated such an incredible point. Uh, uh, I, I would say that PTSD has been around a while, uh, because if you look back in historical literature, you hear Aristotle, you hear Jesus, you hear a lot of influential people back then uh, saying, hey, first, you got to take care of yourself before you can help others. And and then it becomes part of a, a Hippocratic oath. Do you get what I'm trying to say? Surgeon, heal thyself. So the mindset is important, but I think it's important to have role models like you, Doc, that come up and say, I'm a fragile, broken human as well. And that helps open doors and opens the floodgates for a lot of people that need help to get it. I really think so. Get up, bootstrap it. You're largely responsible for your future. So take some control. Get back that control. That's a great, great, great story. So so what do you have uh, kind of going on now? I know you're you're in Colorado Springs, right? And you've yeah. got your own. By the way, yeah. we're only a couple hours away. Yeah. Rogue Manor West is right up in Gunnison. Yeah. So, so you tell us a little bit how you were able to kind of like what you got going on now and your transition out from, from active duty military into what you went into and, and what, what all the good stuff you're doing right now and actually how the, how this whole kind of lockdown quarantine is, is affecting your business. Sure. We shut down, uh, as of Monday. And so we're, we're taking a couple of weeks off. I, I mostly do skin cancer. So I'm taking two weeks off and then we're going to see what the situation is like, uh, because, you know, cancer is not something that you can just keep kicking the, no. the bucket down the road, no. right? You got to, and people oftentimes don't know what's cancerous, so they need to come in and, and get it checked out. So we've given two weeks off. Uh, I prepared for this, so I ordered a year's worth of medical supplies a couple, couple uh, months ago. Everybody laughed at me, but again, things repeat, right? This history repeats. It's not mm-hmm. that big of a lesson. So we gave a lot of that to the local hospital systems because- wow. They wouldn't listen to me when I went and spoke to them about this back at uh, the beginning of February. Um, we've taken a list of volunteers. So the moment the hospital calls and needs volunteers, they get it. But, you know, Colorado's a healthier state. So we are the healthiest state. Right. And uh, when you, it's funny, though, when you compare Colorado to the world, we would, we would 
rank with about the 22nd healthiest country in the world, even though Colorado is the healthiest state in America. Anyway, that's another topic. So I don't think Colorado is going to be hit as hard as other places that tend to have more obesity and other health problems. I think we're still going to have a problem here, but I don't think it's going to be as hard. So I run a a dermatology clinic. Uh, I have a number of different businesses. Uh, One of them is trying to help doctors learn the business of medicine because we are horribly bad at it. And, uh, you know, the, the burnout rates among physicians are, they range between about 32 and 68%. And the depression and suicide rates, the suicide rates for physicians are some of the worst of any profession. Uh, when they look at medical students coming out of medical school right now, one, one medical school did a study, 75% of the kids getting out of medical school right now are on antidepressants or stimulants or both. And so the house of medicine is really, really fractured. So I wrote the book to try to help people understand why we are where we're at. I'm doing a course, a year long course to try to help doctors take control over where they're being um, abused, I guess is the best way to say it. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I, I do so many things, but everything about my personality from start to finish, my emotional home is trying to help and trying to become someone who can help. So that's, that's where I'm at now. I'm, I'm civilian. I, I was very well known in the military in a very small community, which, and I own a business now. We have, I don't know, 57 employees now. Wow. And none of them, even though they're home, they're all getting paid their normal salary and all that stuff because I plan. Um, and so when we go back to work, it's back to work time. Uh, but I could not go into the reserves because I was very well known in a very small community, which means if I went to active duty, uh, everybody would lose their jobs. So I'm out of the military and I'm doing what I can as a civilian. That's, that's in- incredible. Admirable. You know, yeah. On, on a number of points, you know, I mean, just to be able to, it's, it's funny because obviously, so the, the, some of the good stuff that's come out of everyone being at home on quarantine is just the, the comments and memes and stuff out there on social media are just getting hilarious. I mean, people are really, come, but, but the one that sure? I just said, I just sent to Greg was, you know, someone holding a sign at like a protest that says, you know, every disaster movie starts with the government, not listening to a scientist. And it was just hilarious because exactly. it's true, but, but you know, we, it's so, you know, it's, we see it so much and it's, it's like, you know, the advice of, you know, Hey, get up and, you know, make your bed and clean your room. Well, that's, that's not about making your bed and cleaning your room. That's, that's life advice. How to live your life. But, but it's the same thing. You just went over preparing. You're like, well, I bought, I have a year of medical supplies and here I told everyone else to do that. And they said, you're nuts. You don't need to do that. And then, and then it happens. You're like, okay, how much do you need? Here you go. You know, the The only thing I would caution you against saying is this whole thing that you're paying your employees Marin and I have worked together for a good long time now, and ixnay on the A pay because uh, we're we're all doing it for duty on our country and the flag, and not a lot of money, especially yeah. working from home. Thank yeah. God you're married, Marin. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> so, so no, it's 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 uh, incredible. But same thing, even from because uh, you brought up a number of issues, man. You got doctors are out there what doing doing trying to save the world and save their patients and do good, right? Uh, you don't join or you don't get into the healthcare field in any way or first responder or law enforcement or military because you know you're just like you know you want to become not trying to make money yeah, exactly. or famous right you know you go exactly. go into finance if you want to do that right uh but but you, how you, it's interesting you bring up 
you know, how many doctors are suffering from, you know, different types of burnout, uh, post-traumatic stress, uh, all that different stuff, you know, and even though it's like, wait a minute, you're the ones that are supposed to be telling us how to live our lives and you can't do it for yourself. And it's not because it's because they're so focused on what they're so we're all looking down and in and focused on, on what we have to do that we don't take the time to step back and look up and out and go, well, well, how does this affect big picture? And I think a lot of your experiences, maybe in the military and in life yes. uh, uh, have, have led you to go, well, we have to be prepared. We have to plan. These are the things. And this is where that comes from. You know, it's always, we always tell people it's the physician heal thyself, right? Uh, uh, you, or the, the uh, um, oxygen mask on the airplane analogy, right? When those oxygen masks come down, what are you supposed to do? Put on yourself first and then anyone else that you're traveling with. Why? Because and, and it says breathe normally. And yeah. we all know that's horseshit. So, <laughs> yeah. so the idea is if you're not studying and, and rehearsing for that, there's going to be a rude awakening. Problems don't get easier at 30,000 feet. <laughs> yeah. So, but, but just going into basic preparation and like you just said, so you get up in the morning and you take your minute. We just had, uh, uh, John McCaskill on uh, recently. He's, uh, just, he's still in, he's getting out of active duty. He's a SEAL, a Navy SEAL, uh, Lieutenant Commander in the in Navy, a great guy, but he does all the mindfulness and meditation stuff. And he's like, look, this is what I do. You know, you start out in the morning and you, you do your breathing exercises, you focus. And like you just said, you went through, a a tactical decision game. All right, well, what, what can I get done today? Uh, what could happen today that I can prepare for? And, and what people don't realize is that five minutes that it takes to do that five to 10 minutes in the morning, um, that's worth, you know, setting your alarm clock 15 minutes earlier or 10 minutes earlier to do that. Because otherwise, you know, you're, 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 as we say, when an alarm goes off, you're at bang and, Oh, I got to get up and I got to do this. I got to do that. And I always do that. Cause I'm, I, you know, Greg is similar, but I, I do where I'm the guy that wakes up in the morning and works out first thing I get up early. I don't care. It's uh, if it means losing sleep to do that. It's actually better for me to wake up and do something versus trying to get an extra half hour, hour of sleep, because then I'm going to be miserable. Then I'm not going to get the blood flowing. Then I'm not going to have my workout done. So I'm going to be pissed all day because I know I'm not going to do it later at night. Cause I'm going to come up with 30 excuses why I don't need to. Right. And, and so, so sometimes just the, that planning process in the morning by yourself, go, what do I need to get done today? Have five minutes alone before anyone else wakes up. It's beautiful in the morning when it's dark still and no one, the, everything is still quiet and asleep. And, and I'm alone with my hate and my fear. It's just me. It's just me to hate me. There's not a lot of other people, but that's where it is. That's very true. I mean, listen, you can be blown by the wind. Yeah. And the wind will blow you wherever and you, you might wind up on your feet, but chances are you're not going to wind up where you want to be. That's so true. so you, you can be blown by the wind or, or you can decide where you're going to go. It, you know, it really is, is that the choice is yours. I just wish people would have a little intention behind, you know, so there's, they did an interesting study a while ago that um, this one little thing is more effective at, at fixing or helping uh, depression than the antidepressants. And that is when you go to sleep at night, write down on a piece of paper, three things that you're truly grateful for. And don't just write family and house and whatever, like spend a minute actually living in that spot of what you're grateful for. The exercise takes less than five minutes and it actually reduces depressive symptoms more than antidepressants just by focusing on being grateful. A little bit of planning, a little bit of intention. Right. It's huge, but people are, again, they're going to be listening to this. There's going to be some people listening to this podcast who are depressed and that's not all of us have problems in our lives. All of us have things that we need to overcome. Actually, if you can look at it 
and overcome it, you'll be stronger than you ever would have been if you never experienced it. Mm -hmm. So, but there's going to be a lot of people who are on antidepressants right now listening to this. They're like, you know, I'm not going to do, I'm not going to, I don't know what could happen to me if I wrote down on a piece of paper, three things I'm grateful for. And why not? What are you afraid of? Take control. You are the captain of your ship. The worst that you have to lose, try it for a month. If it doesn't work, you've burned through a couple pieces of paper. That's way less than a copay or your prescription, I'm sure. But how many people are actually going to do it? I don't know. Yeah. Well, I, you know, that one, I appreciate you again coming on and shared some awesome stuff. You, you, when you went into your, your story from, from Iraq, like I was, I could have just, I felt, man, the cortisol was coming on and my heart rate was going up. I'm sitting here like, man, I was right there or thinking of some, some other, other situations that of course I, I I've been in as well. And, and Greg has countless as well from his life. Um, so, you know, we, we all deal with that kind of differently and, and, talk about it differently and articulate it but it's so funny how your story just immediately reminds me and we have these come up with these coping mechanisms that are positive right that 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 allow us this to podcast be, this come over yeah i mean this you know it, th- this it, is a large part of our therapy yeah it's yeah and i don't <laughs> it's it's therapy for you it's just ends up you just berating me for a Can while which is punch and judy Okay. Hey, one of the actors has to be Judy. So, so so that's why I describe it as a, a, I'm, you know, Greg's Uber driver slash emotional punching bag. Uh, But, but it seems seems to uh, be alcohol supplier. It seems seems to be working for him. Uh, But no, we, we thank you so much for, for coming on here. And, you know, we'd love to have you kind of, back on again sometime. To, Please tell me you do up. that. Please tell yeah, me. You of course. Do I'm honored. You know, I, I, I feel like I should be thanking you and thank you so much for allowing me on your space. And I'm sorry for raising your cortisol, um, <laughs> but I'm sure you've got the coping mechanisms to turn it around. So thank you guys so much. I really appreciate it. And everybody listening. Um, thank you for, for hearing me out and not just calling me whatever to put me in a box. <laughs> yeah. And I'll, I'll put up links. I know your book's coming out eventually soon here. I'll put up links to so that uh, and, and when episode details and everything, but you know, universal death care, that's, that's the, the title of it, but it's a, you know, a solution for healthcare in the age of entitlement. Right. So, so that's, that's the point. It's not just, Hey, here's the problem is here's how you can address that problem. And, and like you said, you use little anecdotes, little stories and then to highlight it. Um, you know, and to, to, Hey, this is, this is some of the things we see and this is, you know, how, how I think we should provide a solution to it. So I'll put all that stuff up and we, I appreciate you and thank you for everything you've done in the past and continue to do. Uh, I mean, even in tough times, you're, you know, we could get into another thing of, like you said, there's, you know, just running a successful business as a doctor is not what people think. And there's not a lot of people that can do that. And the fact that you are and employing people and still paying them is, is very admirable. So I appreciate uh, coming on. Uh, uh, thanks, Greg. Do you have any, any other closing comments? Yeah, I would just say he's only in Colorado Springs and Brian and I do stuff, uh, in, in the Springs for the United States army for Fort Carson, obviously for, uh, uh, different clients that are down there. Let's do something together. Let's put something cool. together where we're going to help some folks and, uh, put it up where everybody can show up and then film it and put it online. I, I think it'd be, be great fun. stuff. Doc. That'd be cool. I, and I'd be Let's honored to be at your side doing that. Uh, likewise. Semper Fi, gentlemen. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Don't forget, everyone, that uh, training changes behavior. 
Thanks for tuning in, folks. If you would like some more information about what we talked about today, you can head to the Left of Greg Patreon site where we've added some more information about what we discussed as well as some examples of how you can practically apply some of the lessons learned. Please remember to tell your friends about the show and follow us on Facebook at HBPRA. Thanks again and be safe.